Thanks, Brooke. Morning, everyone. My name's Graham. I'm the minister here. If you don't know me, it's great to be here together this morning on this Good Friday, uh, especially if you're a visitor. Um, I hope you feel welcome and, uh, and have a good time. Happy, happy and stay after the service, too. We've got a bit of morning tea to come, maybe some hot cross buns, if we're lucky. Um, that song, well done on singing that song. Congratulations on that uh, and doing the actions. Very impressive. It does remind me of, it actually reminds me of my small children, but putting my small children to bed. For some reason, that was one of my go-to songs. Um, when they were lying asleep in those hours, you lie on the floor with a cot next to you and you're singing, he died up on the cross. And I can't remember doing the actions, but maybe in the dead of night I was doing, for me, for me. Anyway, it's good. All right, well, friends, we're going um, uh, to have a look at God's word now. And uh, why don't I pray and ask God to help us understand uh, this Easter morning, this Friday morning. Father, we thank you for your goodness and kindness to us. We thank you for on this day that uh, we remember and celebrate and give thanks for Jesus dying on the cross for me, uh, for us all here, for the world. Lord, thank you for that. Uh, help us to focus on your word now. Help us to hear what you've got to say. Uh, cut out anything else that's in our, in our hearts and minds and um, focus just on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I was there when... Have you got one of those stories? I was there when. Maybe you're thinking of one right now. On Tuesday morning, uh, we woke up to the news that... Um, there we go. Not quite getting there for me. Sorry. Okay. No, that's not going to work. <laughs> oh, it's working. Good. All right. Excellent. This is the news we woke up to. Uh, the cathedral, the destruction, the devastation, the cathedral Notre Dame. It was... It was uh, Desperately sad scene. You might remember people came out of their houses uh, to come out and watch and see this amazing building burn down. And I guess they came out of their houses to mourn as well, if you hear some of the stories. There, were, there was one video I saw of people watching and singing. As they were, as they were watching, they were standing around and singing Ave Maria, that wonderful um, uh, hymn, I guess you'd call it. It was, it was really moving to see that. They were there when... I guess they could tell their children, grandchildren, they were there when half of this building burnt down. Have you got one of those stories? You know, when you were in the right place at the right time, or maybe you are in the wrong place at the wrong time, depends on how you look at it, doesn't it? It doesn't have to be as intense as a historical site burning down, does it? It's, um, perhaps it was a great rock show. Perhaps you were there in 1965 when the Beatles played in New York. Something like that. Or when Bon Jovi played in, uh, here we go, Bon Jovi played in Abu Dhabi in, nine in, in 2015. I was there then, but they didn't look like that. <laughs> but that's, that's when they look really cool. Um, maybe, uh, maybe it was when, finally when your team won the, the grand final. Any South supporters here? Remember that? Some, some shaking of heads over there as well. I didn't put the roosters up. Um, maybe you're then that you can say, I was there then. Have you got any of those stories? They're fun stories, aren't they? I'd love to hear about them, uh, perhaps over morning tea. But over the last six weeks or so, uh, we're here at, at church. We've been on, on Sunday mornings, uh, evenings. We've been learning about the disciple, the apostle, Peter. Now, if he was to complete the I was there when sentence, my guess is, well, he would talk about the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, wouldn't he? That's what he would do. He was there when? Because... The Apostle Peter was an eyewitness to all that Jesus said and did during his brief three-year ministry. Uh, he was in the thick of it from the get-go. 
So when we read Peter's two letters, that's 1 and 2 Peter, uh, when we read his five sermons in the first ten chapters of the book of Acts, Acts is a, um, a history of the early church, when we read those, they read like someone who was there, someone who lived it, who, who smelt it, who heard it, who saw it, uh, who felt it. They read like that, well, because he was there. He did live it, hear it, feel it, smell it, and so on. Uh, we could be, oh, of course, we could add Mark's gospel in there as well. Uh, most scholars believe that Mark used Peter's eyewitness accounts to put together his biography of Jesus. So today, what we're going to do, we're going to, well, we're going to look at some of the words of Peter, the apostle, the disciple who was there, who saw the whole thing. We'll focus specifically on Peter's words about Jesus' rejection, suffering and death in his two letters, 1 and 2 Peter. And we read the first chapter, really, of 1 Peter. Uh, Brooke read it to us a moment ago. I think this is fitting. This works. Uh, it's appropriate because today is Good Friday, where we focus on the cross of Jesus, his rejection, suffering and death. But, of course, they're not just Peter's words, are they? The great claim of the Bible is that these words that we read in our Bibles, they're God's words. As Peter himself writes, like the prophets of the Old Testament who were carried along by the Holy Spirit, his words carry the same prophetic weight. These are God's words. And Peter says, we'll do well to listen to them. I think we would. We'll do well to listen to God's word today. So if you've got it, if you've got your bulletin there as you, you walked in, uh, I've got three points there in my outline. You can follow along if you'd like to and see where we're going. Keep it pretty simple. Jesus' rejection and suffering, Jesus' death, and then finally what this means for you and I. Normally on a Sunday I'd say have your Bibles open. Um, you can do that if you want. We're flipping around one Peter, uh, but this time I'm going to have all the passages up on the screen so you can follow that way if you like. Well, let's think about Jesus' rejection and suffering. In 1 and 2 Peter, the apostle is writing to a church, you might have picked it up in the reading the book uh, read out, that a church that's scattered and they're feeling like strangers. Uh, the word is aliens, <laughs> uh, not little green men, but they're foreigners in this land, foreigners in a society who persecuted them for following Jesus. It was a dangerous time to be a Christian. So Peter wants them to know that Jesus suffered too. He suffered. And in fact, he suffered for them. Peter saw it. He was there. He saw the whole thing. And he wants to tell them, and this is in 1 Peter 2 verse 4, it's not up on the screen, but he wants to tell them that even though Jesus was rejected by men and women, he was chosen by God and precious to him, just like them. That's what he wants to tell them. And this is a great encouragement. See, that's what this letter is. It's a great encouragement for Christians, for anyone who follows Jesus. And whether they're in the first century AD or in the 21st century today. Now, for those, he writes to, who knew their Old Testament pretty well, they would have known Jesus' suffering was part of God's plan and a fulfilment of what would happen to God's King, the Messiah. Our first reading, this is the one we had right at the beginning that Adrian read to us from Isaiah 53, is a good example of this. Jesus, who was despised and rejected, a man of suffering. Another example of Jesus fulfilling what the Old Testament said about the Messiah's rejection and suffering came about just a couple of weeks after Jesus' resurrection. Peter was speaking to the Jewish court called the Sanhedrin. It was a threatening occasion. 
A, a, a paralysed man had just been healed by Peter and John, or by God through Peter and John. And bravely, Peter stands up in front of the Sanhedrin, he quotes Psalm 118, and he points out to the Jewish leaders how this Old Testament psalm was fulfilled in Jesus. Now, I don't think the Jewish leaders would have liked it one bit. Here, let's read part of that speech. So here's what Peter said. He looked at them in, in this threatening Sanhedrin circumstance and he said, no, Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone, holds it all together. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. See, when Peter was with Jesus, he didn't like hearing that Jesus would suffer. That's his teacher, his, his Lord. He didn't like hearing that Jesus would be rejected. In fact, he struggled to believe that God's king would be a suffering king, even though that's what the Old Testament promised. A lot of Jews at the time found that hard to believe. But 30 or so years later, as Peter sat down at his desk with his papyrus and his ink, he wrote to these Christians who are scattered, these persecuted Christians. Well, now, 30 years later, there's no such misunderstanding. Peter now knew why what he witnessed in Jesus' suffering was so important. So let's think about that for a minute. Let's look at some of Peter's letters, 1 Peter chapter 2, and let's see if you can see why Jesus suffered. 1 Peter 2 verse 21. But if you suffer for doing good and endurant, this is commendable before God. To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So Jesus suffered, leaving us an example. Jesus indeed promises that at times we will suffer for doing good. And such suffering may test our faith even. But we ought to know this, the Apostle says, when it's really hard to keep going and keep following Jesus, we know that Jesus gets it. We know that he understands because he's been there. He empathises. He's suffered. In fact, he suffered for us. He suffered for good. Being a follower of Jesus will sometimes mean suffering like Jesus, simply because we bear the name of Jesus. Following in his steps. The Bible also teaches us such suffering strengthens our faith. This is good for us to hear. If you're a Christian person this morning, this is good for us to hear, even though hard. We live in a world where the increasing trend is to bag Christians. The increasing trend is to silence the Christian voice. It's been quite a week for Christians, if you've been following the media uh, all the Israel Falau business going on. I'm a rugby tragic, as you probably know, um, and so I've read a lot and thought a lot about this um, for a number of reasons, but also because I'm a follower of Jesus and the world is an interesting place to live in right now, particularly in Australian society. Uh, I, this is not meant to be a big... I want to respond very briefly, if I can, um, and say a couple of things. I think it's relevant to what we're talking about here. You see... 
in response, our response, if you're a Christian person to all this, should not be surprise, uh, it should not be anger, and it should not be fear. But instead, our response is to keep following Jesus, to not be ashamed, no matter what the world throws at us, and to trust God who really rules. Don't for a second think that God's not ruling. God continues to rule. He really rules. But please, friends, let's speak of the love of God for sinners. If you're a Christian person, um, sinners like you and me. Yes, God is our judge, but he's also a loving God who forgives. But I'm getting ahead of myself here. Let's keep going what we were saying before. This is where we were. We were saying, is that the only reason why Jesus suffered and died? Leaving us an example? Is that the only reason? Um, suffering for good? Uh, what about fulfilling Old Testament prophecies of Jesus? Um, well, yes, that too. They're reasons why Jesus suffered and died. But are they the only reasons why Jesus suffered? Surely it's more than just giving an example and follow, an example for us to follow and fulfilling prophecies. Well, if you think that, then you're right. There is more to Jesus, his death on the cross, than just leaving us an example and fulfilling prophecies. Let's go to our second point, which is um, very simple, Jesus' death. So if I was going to ask you, you know, came around with the microphone, I won't do it, but if I was, I was to ask you how would you describe Jesus' death, how would you put it? What would you say? Now some people, they might say, well, it's a good story, isn't it? It's a good story, it makes a really good movie. In fact, there have been pretty good movies about Jesus' um, crucifixion and his death, haven't there? A story of sticking it to the man, sticking it to the powerful, you know, the Romans, although it wasn't very successful, he died, uh, but he stood up against the, the powerful, this innocent man who, who was, uh, who was uh, crucified. It does make for a good story. Some people too, they, they say that when describing Jesus' death, they call it divine child abuse. Wow. Um, although maybe they've forgotten that Jesus actually chose to die. Maybe they forgot that. They didn't read the Garden of Gethsemane, for example. Others in describing Jesus' death say it was actually Judas. Judas was the one who was there. But the problem is you'd be very hard-pressed to find any reputable historian that doesn't believe Jesus was crucified by the Romans in AD 33. There's overwhelming evidence for it. Others describe Jesus' death as an injustice. Probably right. Horrific? Definitely right. Barbaric? Yep. Uh, historical? Yes. Very much so. Public? Yep. Uh, Roman? Yeah, the Romans did a lot of crucifixions. <laughs> that was their thing. Well, let's see how Peter describes Jesus' death and why he describes it the way he does. He actually uses four different phrases in his letters when speaking of Jesus' death. The first one is right at the start of his first letter in 1 Peter 1 verse 2, where he describes these Christians he writes to as having been sprinkled by Jesus' blood. That's a fairly gruesome term, isn't it? Uh, it sounds like some, out of some sort of uh, horror movie or something like that. It, um, uh, actually, I'll go back a slide. We'll get to that one in a minute. It's simply, though, a reference to the cross sprinkled by Jesus' blood, where Jesus sacrificed himself for us. The blood-sprinkled language is the language that comes out of the Old Testament sacrificial system, where the priest would have to regularly sacrifice an animal for the sins of the people, and that animal's blood would then be sprinkled on the altar. It does sound pretty messy, and I think it was. Uh, sounds uh, pretty gross, really. But Peter says that was then, this is now. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. He's actually the fulfilment of all those sacrifices before. 
He's the perfect sacrifice. There's no need for any other sacrifice. The second phrase is found in 1 Peter 1 verse 19, where Peter is writing about how Christians are saved or redeemed by Jesus' death. We'll just read these verses out. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed or saved from the empty way of life handed down to you by your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect. Precious blood of Jesus. And then in 1 Peter 2 verse 24, uh, Peter writes of Jesus' death being a substitutionary death. So he died for us. Let's see what he says here. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. He quotes from Isaiah 53. Now, are you starting to see Peter's answer about why Jesus suffered and died? Well, finally, in 1 Peter 3, verse 18, Peter writes that Jesus' death was for sins once and for all. I guess we've already touched on this, haven't we? For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. So why did Jesus die? Why did he die? Yes, he died as an example for us to follow, suffering for doing good. Yes, true. Yes, he died to fulfil Old Testament prophecies. But what's Peter's number one reason why Jesus died? We've seen it there in black and white, haven't we? Written by someone who watched him suffer and die. He died to bring us to God. That's why he died. So here's the problem. The problem is our sin. Now that's our rejection of God. That's where we say to God, we've all done this. That's where we say to God, God, I'm going to rule my life my own way. not interested in you ruling my life. I'm going to put the crown on my head and say, I'm king. You're not. Bad luck. I'm going to rule. And that works itself out in lots of different ways, doesn't it? That attitude. That's what sin is. Sin is an attitude. There are examples of sin. But that sin, when we say that to God, no surprise at all, it creates a distance between us and God. A barrier, if you like. It's a separation between us and God. But on the cross, when Jesus bore our sin on himself... He paid the penalty for our sin, which was death. The righteous, that's Jesus, the, for the unrighteous, that's us, to bring us to God. And so the barrier is broken down. We can be forgiven. We can be made righteous, right with God. I, I wanna, um, I've got a bit creative this week and I, I, um, I want to use a couple of props. But I'm going to need a bit of help because I want to explain to you very clearly what actually happened on the cross. So I, I, need, um, I, need, I need some volunteers to represent two groups of people. So I'm going to pick two youth group kids who have got their heads down and saying, right now, please don't ever pick me. But I love these guys. They're awesome. So Ryan and Maddie, can you come and help me, please? <laughs> Good on you guys. Now, um, Maddie, can you stand over here? And can you hold this one? Because right, that says the righteousness of God. Isn't it pretty? Now, there we go. Thanks. You can stand up front there. Good job, Manny. Thank you. Now, Ryan, this is in no way a representation of you. All right? But this one is an ugly box saying sin on I wrap this one and Michelle wrap this one. <laughs> Makes sense, doesn't it? All right, there we go. So you guys just stand there. Excellent. Good job. Well done. Now, what I wanted to do, actually, I'm going to let's just play. This one's sin, right? 
Now, I forgot to do this. I started wrapping it, and I thought, I want to make it really heavy, because what sin is, it's a burden. So we're going to pretend, right? Oh, this is really heavy. Can you hold on? Can you grab it? Oh, it's really strong. Oh, gee, it's heavy. Oh, there we go. All right, thank you. That's great. That's what I want. It is heavy, isn't it? It's like a burden. Now, on the cross, this is what Jesus did. So this box here represents our sin. And this, of course, this beautiful box here, uh, pretty perfect. It's the righteousness of God. This is ugly. Well, you know, it's heavy. It's a burden. And here's the righteousness of God. When Jesus died, this is where it's going to be interesting. I'm going to get you. Actually, I, I think, Matty, you can do it. So Matty's going to walk across. Matty represents God. He's going to put this and give it to Ryan. He represents us. All right, there you go. And then, Matty, can you take the sin one? Okay, there you go. See, Matty represents Jesus. And come back over here. That's, that is heavy. Don't forget it. But you're Jesus, so you're fine with it. No worries at all. You can spin it around. Um, so now, us, who Ryan represents, on the cross, he's got the righteousness of God. In fact, he, God looks at him and he's perfect. But over here, where are we going? That's sin. There we go. That's it. Yep. Well, Jesus has taken our sin on himself. And actually, we'll jump ahead to three days later. And Jesus, when he rose from the grave, dealt with that sin once and for all. And that's what happened on the cross. Very simply, God, Jesus took our sin on himself and we had the righteousness of God on ourselves. Guys, thank you very much. You're very good. Let's give him a little round of applause. Thank you very much. Mind us. Uh, the righteousness, the righteous for the unrighteous. That's why Jesus died. There it is. Very easy to remember, isn't it? Um, some theologians call it the great exchange where our sin was put on Jesus and God's righteousness was put on us. Now, why would God do this? Why would God, why would Jesus put our sin on himself? Why would he die like that? Why would he suffer and die for us? Well, the Bible says very, very simply, it's not difficult, is because he loves us. That's it. He loves us. He's the God who forgives and it's a free gift. All we need to do, as Jesus himself said, and then Peter said later on in Acts chapter 2 and 4 and so on, is to repent and believe. That's it. So what impact has Jesus' death made on your life? See, some of us here have responded to Jesus' sacrifice by repenting. That just means saying sorry to God and not going that way anymore in our lives. And trusting Jesus as your saviour and Lord. It means he saved you, he redeemed you. And Lord means that crown we talked about is now on Jesus' head. He rules my life. That's what Lord means. If that's you, well, today on Good Friday, well, let's, we're going to give thanks to God. Give thanks to Jesus. And we're going to keep going as Christians, no matter what society throws at us. But there may be some people here today that have never done that. And here's the truth about Easter that you need to hear. Jesus died for you too. God loves you. And he wants you to come to Jesus today and trust him. It's not that Jesus needs more friends. He's okay without you. But he wants you, wants to give you life, and he wants to forgive you. I'm going to pray in a moment, um, and I think it's a prayer that we can all pray. Uh, if you want to commit your life to Jesus today, if you want to say to Jesus today, I, I want to stop uh, rejecting you, but I want to live my life for you and start living this way, I want you to pray with me, not out loud, just in your head. 
Um, but I think it's a prayer we can all pray. I'll put it up on the screen. Why don't we pray and, uh, and then I'll talk for a bit more and then we'll sing. Father, we, um, or dear God, uh, dear God, I know that I'm not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your gift of forgiveness and I'm guilty of ignoring you. I need forgiveness. Thank you for sending your son to die for me that I may be forgiven. And thank you that he rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me and change me and help me to keep trusting you in my life. Amen. I'll leave that up on the screen for a moment. If you prayed that prayer and you really meant it, and you prayed it for the first time maybe, I want you to talk to someone. I'd love you to come and talk to me or Michelle. Um, if, you, if you want to leave it for a while or... On the, in your bulletin, there's a little tear-off slip. You can just write your name there and, then I'll, and, and some contact details and I'll get back to you. Put in the little comment box at the back and um, I'll give you a call. We can get together. Uh, I want you to do something about it, though. Don't sit here and don't do anything at all. Um, we're going to sing together. We're going to sing the man of sorrows. And as we sing, we can make this a prayer to God as we give thanks to Jesus. Uh, following that, we're going to celebrate... Um, by having a small meal together, Jesus' death um, for us on the cross. How about we stand? Okay, just while Graham gets his...